Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, a couple summers ago, I took a picture of this tree uh, in my neighborhood. Anyone notice what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> That's right, it looks like a shrub. Uh, it's not a shrub, it's a maple tree. Uh, but for some reason, all the leaves are growing at the bottom of this tree uh, off of the suckers. The suckers is a term to reference all the thin upright branches that grow at the base of the tree or in the soil around the tree. Now, usually this happens when a tree is under stress. The tree wants to grow, but there's something about its environment that's preventing it from growing. Now, maybe it's the fact that the soil's bad or too compacted, or, or as you can see in the image, it's surrounded by concrete, so maybe that's why the heat radiating, radiating off of that concrete, perhaps that's you know, causing the, the, the tree to be too hot. Maybe it hasn't rained in a while. I don't know, I mean, there's so many different reasons why this tree might look the way it looks. I mean, perhaps it just hasn't been pruned, right, in a long time or hasn't been pruned properly, so this happened. So instead of uh, this tree growing and, and sending up the nutrients to the branches up top, this tree is just trying to survive, so it's ended up growing suckers everywhere and sending the nutrients there. Hence, the tree in this picture now looks a little bit more like a shrub than a tree. Now, if you were to kind of zoom in on the bottom of the tree, things would look healthy, right? I mean, the leaves look plentiful. I know there's a couple here and there that are brown, but it generally, it, it, if you're just to look at the bottom, things would look good. But if you kind of then zoom in on the top, you'd get a whole another story, right? Not a story of health, but one of sickness. A story that something is off. Friends, how the spiritual world works is important for us to understand. It's fascinating to learn about too, so I find that there's a tendency for people to want to overemphasize the spiritual world. When you're learning about it, there's lots of growth, as you see in this image. I mean, just look at the leaves on this tree. When you're learning about the spiritual world, for most, most people, I find there's just this fascination and a lot of growth that accompanies it. But when we either overemphasize or underemphasize the spiritual world, our faith actually won't grow the way that it's supposed to grow. If we overemphasize the spiritual world, the growth won't happen where it's supposed to happen. Like in this tree, the, the way it's only growing at the bottom of this tree, that's not where it's supposed to grow. It's, it's supposed to grow and move all the way up to the top, up the trunk, through the branches, to the rest of the tree. But as you see, we over, when you overemphasize it, the, the growth is here and not there. Well, in the same way, if you underemphasize the spiritual world, this is what our faith will look like. Unpruned. Too many thin and small and weak branches that are actually preventing other branches from growing thicker and bearing fruit and leaves and health on those few branches rather than on the many. 
In other words, our understanding of the spiritual world, what I'm trying to say here, is that it needs to be integrated with the rest of our faith. And that's why today's piece of armor that we're going to be talking about, the shield of faith, is so important. When we understand how the spiritual world integrates with the rest of our faith without overemphasizing or underemphasizing it, then this is what our faith will look like. Strong trunk, fruit and leaves and health all the way through, right? A picture of health and wholeness. So let's continue our series on the armor of God by exploring how the shield of faith will help us grow this sort of faith, a faith that looks like this. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Perhaps we can read this verse together, verse 16. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This verse shows us that our faith will grow in every situation behind the shield of faith and by um, extinguishing the flaming arrows of the evil one. So let's start with our first point, that our faith will grow in every situation. Now I think that most people would agree uh, that being integrated uh, and not being divided is a good thing, right? Like being whole, being the same person in every situation, I, I think most of us would agree that that that's a good thing to strive toward, right? If someone ever calls you a Jekyll and Hyde, that's not a compliment, <laughs> right? Because really, when we think about it, it's a good thing. Like, we don't want to be around someone who's different in every situation. We want to be around people, and we want to be the type of people that are the same in every situation. So if we can agree on that, uh, why is it that So many people are okay compartmentalizing their faith from the rest of their lives. Worshiping Jesus on the weekends, but then worshiping money, sex, and power the other six days of the week. Or maybe it's not the other six days of the week, it's the other 167 hours in a week, which if you're doing the math, there are 168 hours in a week. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, but Daniel, I don't, that's your, 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 Maybe some people do that, but not me. That seems a bit extreme. I don't worship money, sex, and power. Um, but maybe, so maybe that's not you, but what you've done is you've actually segmented spiritual growth to be only in on one day a week or, or maybe in one place, in a place like this, rather than everywhere you live, work, study, and play. I recently read that the average North American will spend around 88,000 hours on the job. 88,000 hours from the first day of employment to the day of retirement. So that means that work will occupy about 40% of our lives. In contrast, a dedicated Christian is estimated to spend about 4,000 hours of their life in church meetings or church-related activities. Now, just look at that, right? 88,000 hours of work versus, versus 4,000 hours of worship. Here's what Paul Stevens says about this. He's a, the professor emeritus of marketplace theology and leadership at Regent College. He says that the church concentrating on the 4,000 hours seems to have made spirituality into leisure time, discretionary time, 
you know, involvement when the workday is over. But true spirituality is more subversive than that. It sneaks into the center of our lives, compelling us to find God in the down-to-earth rather than the up in heaven. Wow, I love that. True spirituality, right? True spirituality, true faith sneaks into the center of our lives. The center of our lives is more about the down-to-earth than the up in heaven. No wonder today's verse says, in every situation, right? It doesn't say in some situations, in some locations, during some moments in our week or some hours or minutes of the day. No, it says in every situation, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other words, a vibrant, healthy, growing, and deep faith isn't a 4,000 hours over a lifetime sort of faith or a weekend sort of faith, a faith that grows deep and matures and produces the sort of health that we see in this picture. This sort of faith is a faith that sneaks into the center of our lives, the center, compelling us to find God in the down-to-earth rather than just in the up in heaven. It's a sort of faith that's about every situation and that grows in every circumstance. So that means God wants to grow your faith after you've been promoted and also after you've been fired. God wants to grow your faith in both of those situations. That God wants to grow your faith when you refuse to cheat on a test or cut corners on an assignment even though your other friends are doing that. God wants to grow your faith in that. And that God wants to grow your faith in the days of retirement when perhaps you're not busy as you used to be. The calls, the requests aren't funneling in like you had hoped them to be. And in those days of maybe more silence than busyness, God wants to grow your faith in that too. God wants to grow your faith when you're in line at the grocery store, when you're cleaning up after your kid, <laughs> and when all you do is, when all you want to do is swear at the person who just cut you off on the road. <laughs> right? God wants to grow your faith in those situations. He wants to grow your faith when you're at the hospital, and also, and also, when you can't drum up the courage to walk past that now empty room in your home that once used to be full of life, full of health, and is now still and empty. God wants to grow your faith in every situation, in every circumstance. And that's why we read in Romans 12, starting from verse one, this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now this verse doesn't say, I urge you to present your souls 
It doesn't say I urge you to present your spirit. It says I urge you to present your bodies. And in the Greek, those three words are different words. The text is saying, I urge you to present your body, your lived experience, your flesh and bones, your lived reality, your everyday life, your whole personality, all that you are here on earth. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Present yourself, all of yourself to God as worship, for worship, and in worship. And when we do that, what we see in this verse is that our faith will grow when we live seeking God in every situation of our lives. Well, the second thing that we see in this verse is that our faith will also grow behind the shield of faith when we learn what the shield of faith is and how to hold it. Now, when Paul was talking about the shield of faith, He wasn't thinking about a a small round shield like you see on the left-hand side of this image. He wasn't thinking about the shield on the left. He was thinking about the shield on the right. Not the small one that really doesn't cover your body. Only it only covers a small section. But the one on the right, a long oblong shield that you can completely hide behind when the enemy shoots his flaming arrows at you. Now, these long shields consisted of two layers of wood glued together. They were first covered in linen and then with hide, and then they were bound above and below with iron. And these shields were specifically designed, yes, so that your whole body could stand behind it but also in, and, and be behind it, but also uh, to protect you from all the arrows that the enemy would send towards you, especially the ones that were dipped in pitch, lit on fire and sent towards you. So in the same way, when we take up the shield of faith in every situation, right, we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and be protected against all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's what we read about in Ephesians 6, 16, right? In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, not some, but all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about carrying a literal, physical shield around everywhere, right? It's like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's my shield of faith. You don't have one? I mean, I just, my church just went through a whole series on the armor of God, and and I'm carrying this around to help me remember that I need to hold the shield of faith. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're We're not talking about carrying a physical shield to protect you in a spiritual world or in a spiritual battle. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is not faith in and of itself. It's not what Paul's telling us to to take up. And neither is he asking us to, to place our faith in our armor or place our faith in our knowledge or our abilities. He's saying, take up the shield of faith. And by that, he's talking about faith in God. Faith in the one who created the armor. Faith in the one that created you and I and is actively choosing to sustain us in this moment. Uh, Just consider what the Bible says about God and shields. And if you're taking notes, perhaps you want to write the references down. Uh, But I'm going to walk through a bunch of verses to help you see how 
how God talks about shields in the word of God. Okay, so the first thing we see is that in starting in Genesis 15, that God is our shield. God is our shield. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Not here is your shield. He says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And then in Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield. He is my shield. He is our shield, the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. And then in Isaiah 58, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Do you see here in these verses how God is our shield? Well, God is also our protector. Psalm 12, you Lord will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. And then in Psalm 32, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love, right? Because God is our protector, will have faithful love surrounding him. God also is our refuge. Psalm 144, he is my faithful love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He subdues my people under me. And then in Psalm 119, God is our refuge because just look at this prayer, right? You are my shelter and my shield. I put my hope in your word. God is our refuge. God is also our help and our strength. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart celebrates and I give thanks to him with my song. God is our help and our shield. Deuteronomy 33, how happy you are, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is the shield that protects you, the sword you boast in. Your enemies will cringe before you, not because you're big, not because you're strong, not because you have armor on, but because he is our shield, right? And you will tread on their backs. We also see in Psalm 91 that God is faithful. He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Love that. God gives us victory as well. Psalm 18, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me and your humility exalts me. And lastly, we see that God shows us favor. In Psalm 5, for you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. See how robust this shield is and what this shield means when we talk about this shield of faith. And then the last verse, I love this. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. Friends, when we take up the shield of faith, we are declaring that God is our shield. 
that God is our protector, that God is our refuge, that God is our help and our strength, that God is faithful, that God is the one who grants us victory and that, God, that any favor we experience in life is ultimately from God. That's what we are declaring to ourselves and to those around us when we take up the shield of faith. And if you ever forget that, spend time rereading those verses. Study the verses. Memorize these verses. Pray through them so that your faith wouldn't be tossed around like the wind and the waves, being strong when it's still and shaky when the winds are blowing but so that your faith, taking up the shield of faith, would be strong regardless of what's going on around you. Beulah Church family, we are not placing, by talking, I know we're talking a lot about faith, but we are not placing our faith in faith. It's important for us to recognize that our faith is not in faith. By taking up the shield of faith, we're not just putting on and trying to have more faith in and of itself. We're placing our faith in God, in the one who will never let us down, even in the moments in life when we feel like God has left us, let us down. By taking up the shield of faith, we are placing our faith in Him. In the one who said that he will never leave us nor forsake us, even when we feel like he has left us and forsaken us. When we take up the shield of faith, we are declaring our trust in God. And we are declaring to us, to those around us, that his ways are higher than our ways. And that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that there, there's probably going to be more times when we don't understand what's going on and we can't see the full picture, then when we can explain it all through pat answers. Why did God allow this to happen? Have you ever asked that question and not received a response? God, I know you are good, but why couldn't you stop this from happening? And why did it have to happen now? Why didn't you? Have you ever caught yourself saying that? I know I have. <laughs> but as we read in the armor of God, when we take up the shield of faith, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I trust you. Though I don't know why and though, and, and even if you never tell me why, I know you are good. I know you are good. So I trust in you. And sometimes those are more words coming out from here than here. And in those moments, it's not only God, I trust you, it's God, I, I don't, but I want to. Help me understand that your ways are higher than mine, that your thoughts are higher than mine. Help me stop trying to rationalize everything or try to put everything in a neat box.
the interesting thing about the shield of faith, especially if you uh, were reading those verses, um, hey, the shield of faith is a refuge. It's something that we can hide behind and, and hold. The interesting thing about that is I, I find that some are, are, you know, some people think, hey, so if that's the case, should we ever graduate from the shield of faith? Like, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hide behind it all the time. Like, that sounds weak. Shouldn't God strengthen me to the point where I don't need to hide behind the shield of faith? Well, the interesting thing about this verse is that the verse doesn't say, uh, if you need to, take up the shield of faith. <laughs> uh, if you have to, or if you're just, you can't figure it out on your own, take up the shield of faith. No, the verse says, in every situation, take up the shield of faith which means we never graduate from the shield of faith. In fact, hiding behind the shield of faith isn't a sign of weakness, it's actually a sign of strength. It's actually a sign of trust. It's actually a sign that we know who is in charge and what this shield of faith, who it's in and who it's from and, and what it actually, you know, the purpose of it actually is. So friends, when we take up the shield of faith, uh, we talked about that we need to take it up in every situation, uh, but when we do so, we come to our last point, uh, which is when we do that, it's to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All right, and that's our last point for today, that your faith will grow by extinguishing the flaming arrows. Now, I recognize that some of you are like, okay, flaming arrows, like, I'm not really, like, even in wartime these days, if, if you're in the military, it's not like people shoot flaming arrows anymore, right? Like, that's Lord of the Rings sort of stuff. That's not, that's not modern-day warfare, right? And you're like, so, so what, exactly, what exactly is a flaming arrow of the evil one? Well, in one word, it's just temptations. Um, and for every single one of us, temptations are going to look different. Um, so I want to I I actually read to you something that I came across. Uh, it's from the author and theologian Leonard Sweet, and he talks about today's temptations, like today's modern-day versions of the flaming arrows of the evil one. He talks about them using some interesting language. He calls them cathedrals, and that there are different cathedrals that we are tempted to worship in these days. Okay, uh, so bear with me, there, it's, it's, it's pretty creative, so some of you might be like, it seems a little bit out there, uh, but perhaps this will give you a little bit of a, a different way of looking at what temptations might look like these days. Okay, so the first cathedral or temptation is what he calls a blue dome cathedral, and by that he's talking about the worship of Gaia or Mother Earth. Okay, so that there are many people uh, who, that, that is their worship, and for them, uh, the most holiest day of holy is uh, the opening of deer hunting season, okay? Uh, so he talks about that. Uh, the next one is the cathedral market. Uh, he says that Wall Street worship leads to marketolatry. Uh, and I, I like this uh, parallel that he talks about with the Ten Commandments. He says that Moses broke the Ten Commandment tablets when he saw people worshiping the golden calf. And that today we break the Ten Commandments in pursuit of the golden calf which he's referring to bull markets and the golden goose. Uh, he says that money is God, economy is religion, and understanding the market is theology. 
<laughs> he then talks about the cathedral mall, that more and more people are careening or living life with uh, no inner, living through time with no inner life at all, thanks to the mind-sapping nature of consumerism. Uh, and he says that consumer culture rips off our wallets as it rips apart our souls. And then he talks about the cathedral of sports, uh, that sports is becoming more and more of a religion. And whereas for us in Edmonton, it might be hockey, for most of the planet, he says, is FIFA World Cup. And then he talks about FIFA World Cup as world communion, that people wear vestments to worship, and that the clothes the celebrants wear are even carefully chosen and designed. Uh, the next cathedral or flaming arrow or temptation of the evil one he talks about is the cathedrals of experience. That experience in and of itself is religion for our culture. And the sacralization of experiences is everywhere in our culture from, from food to tourism to sex and to worship itself. And then there's the cathedral celebrity. Celebrity worship is its own religion with disciples known as fans. Uh, a celebrity culture worships the golden calf of personality and cares little for personhood. The next flaming arrow is the corporate cathedral. Uh, it takes a bit of a jab here at uh, Apple and Steve Jobs, so bear with me. Uh, but he says that Steve Jobs dubbed the iPhone the Jesus phone and was quite aware of his status as a tech messiah. Some people called him a crazed shaman, others a Benedictine monk or savior. And when the first Apple computer was put on the market, the selling price was $666.66. And the very name chosen Apple was a semi-ironic statement that it was as much of a cult as a company. Um, on more of a lighthearted note, he talks about the cathedral kitchen. And he says that food is now a sacred experience with celebrity chefs being high priests. Isn't that interesting? And when you look at those cooking shows and how a few individuals are, seem to be on so many of them. Contrary to the 16th century German saying, sugar spoils no dish, sugar ravages health and may make the diabetes crisis the worst medical health issue of the 21st century. And his last flaming arrow or category of temptation is the cathedral of self. And as I walk through what he says here, uh, don't be offended, because he actually offends every generation. <laughs> okay, so if you're a particular generation, if you're feeling offended, don't worry, just wait for the next one, because he makes fun of us all. Uh, he says, selfies are appropriately made. Generation self-made, the boosters, gave birth to generation self-help, the boomers, who gave birth to generation self-esteem, Gen X, who then gave birth to generation selfie, the millennials, and then who then gave birth to generation self-righteousness, Gen Z. <laughs> I told you he makes fun of all of us, okay? So, uh, even the language of personal discovery in the cathedral of self has become a mask for satisfying and gratifying our own <laughs> desires. Okay, all right, so according to Len Sweet, if all these categories or cathedrals are modern day versions of the flaming arrows of the evil one, or the ways that he shoots them uh, then what are we supposed to do with that? Right? And maybe there are some of those that you're laughing at and you're like, oh, that's, that's silly. Like, how is food a flaming arrow of the evil one? And, and, then, and then there's someone else who's like, yeah, food is, for me, a 
flaming arrow, the evil one. And, and so when you think about all these cathedrals or categories of the flaming arrows, what are we supposed to do with them, right? What does it mean to take up the shield of faith to extinguish those things, right? How, right? How are we supposed to take up our shield of faith in the face of all of that, right? Let's take a look at the verse again, right? In every situation, Take up the shield of faith. When you are being shot at by whichever one of these cathedrals is coming your way, take up the shield of faith because when you do that, you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need to take up the shield of faith because faith lays hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression and it lays hold of the power of God in times of temptation. I love this from John Stott, I'll say it again. Faith lays hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression, and it also lays hold of the power of God, promises of God and the power of God in times of temptation. So in times of temptation, taking up our shield of faith means turning to Jesus and focusing on Him and not on the temptation. Taking up the shield of faith means reciting scripture. It means worshiping God instead of worshiping whatever other cathedral that we've become accustomed to bowing down to. Taking up the shield of faith means remembering both and emphasizing both the holiness of God and the love of God rather than underemphasizing or overemphasizing one or the other. After all, God is our shield, right? God is our refuge, not our weapons, not how big our shield is, not how well we can hold it. No, God is our shield. He is our refuge. He is our protector. He is our help and strength. He gives us victory. He shows us favor, and He is faithful. And that's why we read in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out when we take up the shield of faith, by taking up the shield of faith, so that we may be able to bear it. Now, do you remember at the beginning of this message, I showed a few pictures of this maple tree in my neighborhood? Well, in case you're wondering what happened to it, uh, it was cut down. <laughs> it's gone. It's completely gone. Uh, it was either uh, cut down and, you know, the wood was chipped for mulch or uh, chopped up for firewood. And, you know, I'm grateful, though, uh, because I think we see trees like that all over our city, don't we? Uh, maybe there's some in your backyard and there's suckers and you're like, that's what they're called. <laughs> Right? And, and, and maybe you've just learned something about pruning trees that you can take away, or, or maybe when you're driving around the city and you see these little islands and, and these dwarfed trees that may or may not be pruned, I hope that when you see that, you're reminded, you're reminded of the fate of what will happen to your faith if you either underemphasize or overemphasize the spiritual world. I hope that's the connection that's made. I hope that we remember that and, and that as a result, instead of overemphasizing or underemphasizing the spiritual world, we would approach it not fearfully, but confidently, 
uh, according to what the scripture says about the spiritual world. And this is what the Bible says about it. Ephesians 6, starting from verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Next week, we're going to look at the helmet of salvation and what that means, and then we're going to finish up the series after that by exploring what the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God means and what it looks like to take that up. So my dear brothers and sisters, I pray that for each and every one of us, in every situation, we would take up the shield of faith. That we would know what that shield of faith is. It's not faith in and of itself, but God is our shield. That we would take up the shield of faith by which we can then extinguish all the flaming arrows and the temptations that the evil one sends toward us. Amen? Thanks for listening, and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.